Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In Augie, Felix Greystone, played by Richard Kind, is forced into an early retirement and falls in love with an augmented reality companion to the detriment of his relationships with his wife and daughter. At his early retirement party, Felix is given a pre-released version of an Augie, a pair of augmented reality smart glasses that project a perfectly human companion into his world. When Felix's wife gets an promotion and his daughter Grace gets serious with her boyfriend, Felix suddenly feels very alone. He opens up to his new companion and that is where the film begins to really take on a lot of different hues and colors and different questions are being asked in this film. The film again is called Augie and we're joined today by the co-writer and director and that would be Matt Kane as well as the co-writer and producer Mark Underhill. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Well, well, Matt, let me start with you. Um, where did the idea for Augie uh, come about? Well, the idea initially came about when uh, Mark came to me with a sort of kernel of an idea about uh, about having some way to um, interact with someone, maybe a companion, maybe a romantic partner, someone that you, that you might want to date um, that could exist through augmented reality, because I think Mark, you know, talks a lot about um, dating in Los Angeles being complicated, and I have also experienced some of that, and it can be it can be tricky. And uh, you know, the idea that you can have someone um, just appear before you in an instant, and then interact with them, and then uh, kind of take the glasses off and, and be done with it, was like an interesting concept. Um, so from that, we kind of started talking about how that would. Uh, how that would affect a person and then how that might affect a person who is already in an established relationship. Um, somebody who, uh, you know, had maybe been in a marriage uh, for a number of years uh, and had, you know, had children and had a career, etc. and how it might affect a person that was kind of committed in the real world, um, you know, by then using something like this. Right. Well, Mark... Um, Matt mentioned the dating scene in Los Angeles. It, it is complicated and, uh, and frustrating. Um, but I'm kind of curious, is this also, because uh, this idea of this technology is upon us. We've had the Google Glasses. We've had a number of iterations moving us into a world of this augmented reality that seems to be uh, the way that we're going. What, what was it? I mean, and all these different, as I said in the introduction, all these kind of questions that are brought up in the course of this telling of the story behind Augie. Um, was there one specific incident or some kind of situation where you found yourself that this is really was a precursor to uh, to the idea of, of what became Augie? Um, I would start with, uh, like, talking about just loneliness in general. And even though you're surrounded by people in Los Angeles, um, you can be a lonely city because uh, it's car culture. You're not just randomly happening upon other people. And so you kind of have to find ways to deal with your loneliness, and I think that's something that we definitely explore in Augie is how Felix deals with his loneliness after his retirement. Um, and then the other part of it 
is kind of the instant gratification of technology and how it caters to our every desire. And so this idea of if I want companionship in this moment, I can put these glasses on and I will have a partner. And then if I suddenly am tired of um, talking to that person and I want to be alone, then I can also take the glasses off. And so it, this technology is here for me and it caters to whatever I want. And I find that kind of is a symbol for how we deal with our phones. Um, because, you know, if you're bored, then your phone's there to entertain you. And um, if you're curious, the phone's there to teach you. And there's all these other, <laughs> or distract you, or whatever it is that you desire, the phone can do that for you already. Um, but I thought augmented reality technology, um, three years ago when we started, like, kind of conceptualizing the film, um, seemed a little bit far off, and but, like, not too far off. So it felt like the sweet spot to be t- tackling in a feature film where the timeline is, like, several years, because before we even started writing the script, Pokemon Go didn't exist. So it was kind of cool to see how, as we were writing, more and more people um, in the public consciousness got to learn about augmented reality and how it might be affecting their lives in the future. Yeah. I want to make sure that I've, I've sort of... I, I, I said a lot of things in the introduction. Of the, um, um, so I want to make sure, in case... I didn't make it clear enough so the idea here we have felix has gotten this pair of glasses and as you as it's it's a, a uh what, what would you call a pre-release version of it of these glasses mm. he puts them on and it immediately conjures up the ability to know what he's thinking about and then uh and this idea there's a number of different ideas working kind of in the subtext of this the idea of uh, you know, through Facebook and our Google searches, increasingly the tech world and the and the and the data, big data knows more about ourselves in some ways that we do, because so much mm-hmm. of what we do online is in it's either conscious, but a lot of it is also kind of subconscious of what we're interested in. So there is this kind of right. this question that's being asked about the film, and when he puts these glasses on, the the uh, the Avatar knows more about him <laughs> than he does in a, in a manner of speaking, or at least at least says so in a lot of ways. So so there's that. There's this. Uh, there's a lot of other questions in, that are asked in the film. Uh, what what beyond the, the the things that I just mentioned in terms of augmented reality uh, are are other questions that you think your film this film is asking us to consider? In terms of augmented reality, I don't think we're trying to. Um, condone the behavior of Felix or condemn it, really. I think it's more an exploration of this thing that is rapidly approaching. You know, technological progress will continue at an increased clip to the point that sometimes I think humans won't be able to wrap their heads around all of the dangers. Um, And so it's, I think, what we're trying to say partially, among what you already mentioned, is just um, let's explore how, like, our relationship to technology affects our relationship with um, people around us, specifically our, you know, wife or our daughter. Um, and so that's kind of the big thing we're trying to ask is just how does our relationship to technology affect our other relationships in the real world? Yeah. And Matt, um, in terms of the pr- the film itself, and uh, what I, one of the things I really liked about it is there's a, there's a, pace there's something uh uh contemplative about the film in terms of just the, 
the the tone of it, the look of it, the the soundtrack, the sound design. Uh, it gives us a lot of space to sort of under try to understand what's going on in 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 the characters, and particularly in the, the case of Felix Greystone, played by Richard Kind, who does a terrific job, by the way. But it, there's the, this is really a, a film that is uh, a thinking man's kind of film. It, it, I guess is it a sci-fi film? Is that what we're calling it? Yeah, I mean we're we're kind of exploring it as a it's a grounded sci-fi. It's a, it's a sci-fi really over the top of a you know, that's kind of masking a relationship drama. We're really looking at the interpersonal relationships of the characters um, and specifically, you know, Felix's relationship with himself. Um, you know, you mentioned how the, the, the avatar, the projection is kind of a, it has a lot of knowledge about Felix and really it's, it's a projection of his subconscious. So it, what's strange is that he realizes over, you know, the course of the film uh, that maybe he's actually communicating with, a personification of his own thought. So he's kind of looking in, in a mirror that looks nothing like him. So it's kind of a, a well-disguised mirror. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the space, the spacing and the time and the tone, um, you know, that we intended to create is really to, to give us, give us space to ruminate on the, on the idea and to kind of really experience um, the loneliness and the new thought, the new chapter of life that, that Felix is now in, this kind of vulnerability um, that he's faced with, and this almost—it's not—it's not a crisis um, existentially, but it's a, it's a, certainly an existential vulnerability that he's experiencing now, not having his his career to focus on, and um, you know, being lost as far as not quite knowing how to identify with himself anymore. Um, that's kind of the that's the the, the reason for um, for the kind of the, the space and the and the tone. Mm-hmm. You're picking up, yeah, and and also the cinematography in it. I I really liked the look of it. There's a yeah. There's a it's a slightly darker hue to most of the. There's almost a well, and you see it in the poster, but there's like this bluish hue that you infuse in a lot of the a lot of the look of the film. Um, it's a it's it's an inviting look, but the cinematography is uh, in particular I thought was uh, pretty terrific. You want to talk about your working uh, with your cinematographer on this? Yeah, yeah. Natasha, um, Natasha Marlin is a she's fantastic, and you know we worked together a lot in the past. And she'd actually shot the short films um, that Mark and I made, and uh, we really worked a lot, Natasha and I, on how to create this um, cooler, uh, more distant. Um, Kind of atmosphere and, and and have a lot of vacant space in the frame when we were looking at Felix, uh, you know, from a distance in the wider shots when he's when he's interacting with Augie to kind of really highlight how um, alone he is. And we kind of actually described the the more distant um, still shots where nothing was handheld as as being like more like a, a cat, uh, a, like cat-like, where it might be on a dolly and it sort of slowly moves. Um, through the room or it sits from a distance kind of observing what's happening at the, the camera um and then in in the world with augie when it's when you're participating almost as a as a as the audience um is more dog-like it's more um like a puppy there's there's more kind of energy and it's handheld and it's kind of moving and very intimate um so we kind of separated the two different visual approaches um with the film by by using the kind of metaphor of a, a cat or a dog um, and I like to storyboard and kind of illustrate pretty roughly what what we wanted to do each day. And we had very limited time to shoot. So, you know, we had to sit every single night um, 
before you know before the next day of shooting and i would sort of draw um the frame in in roughly how we wanted to look and then based on the space we had we would kind of design it together when we were on set yeah let's talk about the cast and um i'll, I'll ask matt but mark you can uh, chime in as well um putting this cast together again i'm we're familiar with richard kind and we can talk about his performance but i, I just want to before we do i'd like to talk about so the, the supporting cast which th- this is a film where there's you don't attempt to extract a, a, these uh performances that overhype what it is that they whatever the situation is whether it is the you know early retirement party or or just the family stuff together it's a very uh even keeled kind of way of presenting their his family and the people in his life um and so i i just appreciated that and I, if uh matt if you want to talk about some of the performances sort of what your notes were to some of these uh some of these performers yeah um, yeah, I mean, in the, the casting process, I think is really important um, when you're putting a movie together to watch the actors tape. I mean, we had Richard on board, and we knew that Richard was going to um, be wonderful, kind of portraying this this, this more quiet, um, subdued, almost. In, in, I don't want to say uh, internal performance, almost like he's very he's very subtle and nuanced. Yes, and we sort of knew watching the tapes um, for the other for the other uh, roles in the film that we were looking for people that would match the, the tone that we were going for just off of their read. So based on then interpreting the script and then watching their performances in the audition, we could choose people that were kind of close to the tone that I wanted to build on set with them. Um, and then when we were on set, it was really a case of kind of guiding guiding them through it and, and trusting that their instincts were, were already um, sort of leaning in the right direction based on the audition. And then luckily we, we had a few days of rehearsal as well where, um, you know, we could read through the script and really talk about the, the tone. And I think they could kind of get an understanding from me about, you know, the kind of tone we, we were hoping to build. Um, so it was really, I was, I was very lucky actually. I think sometimes on set there's a lot of um, back and forth and there's a lot of really strong opinions because everyone has their own interpretation of the, of the work you're trying to create together. Um, and I think for us, you know, fortunately, we, we only had 12 days to shoot the film, so that meant very few takes um, when we were on set. There was probably three three takes per um, per setup, which is which is limited. And, and and I think you know the cast understood that that was the case, so it meant that they were more inclined to kind of um, keep their keep their performances in line with with uh, everything that we had talked about in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So I felt really grateful that they, you know, they all did such a wonderful job with that. It really, it really made my job much easier as a director. I didn't have to kind of make any drastic changes to what they were doing. And I think um, as long as I was very communicative, which which I really like to be, you know, I like to talk with them about um, about their interpretation of each scene. And sometimes too much, they're like, "Yes, I get it. Okay, let's, let's just go." And, and that was <laughs> that was great to just let them kind of um, let them do their thing. Well, well, I'm going to yeah. bring I'm going to bring Mark in the conversation as producer, one of the uh, producers of the film, uh, to talk about uh, Susan Blackwell, who again, I mean, she's uh, absolutely critical to the success of the film, and I just thought I really liked her performance a lot. I thought she was mm-hmm. aggrieved, but not too aggrieved in terms of some of the things that were going on. But she was spot on. I thought she really was fantastic. And uh, um, Mark, any any um, observations on that on her performance? Yeah. Well, Susan is just an incredible human being. Uh, Matt and I both are such big fans of hers. Um, we actually 
found her through our casting director, who was phenomenal, and Alice Merlin. She she got us Richard, and then Richard helped us get all the other other people in terms of like the legitimacy of the project. Yeah. But actually, casting Anne was probably the, one of the trickiest roles to cast because we needed an actor that could meet Richard, um, Richard's vulnerability, Richard's strength, and I think uh, we we went through a lot of tapes and we were having trouble finding someone who. Um, could really match him, um, both in terms of look and in terms of acting. Um, and when, like, late in the game, uh, Alice suggested we make an offer to Susan, and she actually put herself on tape. Um, and she was just, once we saw it, we were like, yes, this is, this is Anne. And it was, uh, it was a really exciting moment because uh, as we were getting closer and closer to the shoot, it was like a pretty major role. I think Anne actually speaks more than uh, Augie does. Um, it's kind of this film... Although it's like Richard, you know, with Kristen and Augie, it's very much about how Augie affects his relationship with his wife. So the wife, wife role was very critical to get right. I think Susan nailed it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. By the way, she was in one of my favorite uh, films, favorite debut films, uh, Margin Call. Uh, she was <laughs> she's one of the... So it, 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 she's an actress who's willing to, um, you know, take chances on, on new filmmakers. And um, that's Absolutely. Her, yeah been neglectful in mentioning to our audience that we're talking about the film Augie, and uh, Augie comes out here in Los Angeles on uh, September 20th. It will be at the Monica, the Lemley Monica Film Center in Santa Monica on the 20th. Uh, you can find out more about the film. There's a couple of different places you can go. Uh, I believe uh, Samuel Goldwyn Films dot com is one one of the ways, and I believe, and I want to make sure I've got this right. Is it Augie Movie? Let's see, did I get this right? Augie dot com. Yes. Also, all of our like social media handles are at Augie Movie. Right. Well, and we should mention Augie has two G's, because um, there's some Augies that have one G. So. A-U-G-G-I-E. There you go. And yeah, there's a Facebook page, there's Twitter and Instagram, and well, terrific. And I, I really, um, if we didn't mention uh, how good Richard Kane is enough, I, I, I apologize and let people know he is terrific in the film. He is the he is the tent pole of this film, and uh, he is uh, wonderful. He has he brings uh, some of that vulnerability that we've seen in his other roles, and he brings a strength. There's a certain determination. He's not a man who's about to roll over and give up, and I think that comes across in his performance here. And uh, you mentioned 12 days of shooting, Matt. That is crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. That's. A, I think you have the record. I don't think I've heard anybody go lower than 12 days of shooting. So, well, congratulations. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, congratulations to both of you, not only as a director, but also, Mark, as well, to you as a producer to be able to pull off that incredible feat to get a feature-length film done in that, that amount of time and done so well on, on top of everything else. Well, Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. The film, again, is called Augie, A-U-G-G-I-E, Augie, and it comes out here uh, in Los Angeles on the 20th, as well as, uh, you said, in New York City as well, opening and mm-hmm. yeah, to Los Angeles here at the... Um, Monica Film Center, Lemley, I should say, Lemley, Monica Film Center in Santa Monica. Be look, lurk, uh, be looking for two men lurking in the back if there's not a Q&A. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and so, well, congratulations to both of you. The film, Augie, uh, we've been speaking with the co-writer and director, Matt Kane, as well as the co-writer and producer, Mark Underhill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.